Welcome, conversations that highlight fascinating ways people are impacting the lives of those who are vulnerable. Impact Conversations with Don Mansky. This Impact Conversation is brought to you by Made for Freedom, the social enterprise with products made by survivors of human trafficking and marginalization. Made for Freedom is fighting human trafficking with style. Thank you so much for joining us today for this impact conversation. Today's impact conversation, like others, is inspired by people that I have met across the country that are doing fascinating things to come alongside those who are vulnerable. Is anywhere from coming alongside those children who have been abused to kids in the foster system to survivors of human trafficking as far as prevention or restoration. And today we have Johanna Greeson with us, and I am thrilled that we get a chance to talk to her. Dr. Johanna Greeson is an associate professor at the University of Pennsylvania School of Social Policy and Practice, where she's the director of the Child Wellbeing and Child Welfare Specialization for Advanced Year MSW students. I'm excited to hear a bit more of how she got started in this field and learn about her recent publication, Caring Adults Are Everywhere, Care, and how people can come alongside older youth in the foster system to help them as they go into life. So Johanna, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm going <laughs> I'm excited to just talk about some of what you're doing and and your recent publication and just kind of get a little more insight to that. So how how did you end up in this field? After I got my um, master's degree, the first job I had was working in a private foster care agency. Mm -hmm. um, however, it was not in the role of um, direct practice or clinical practice. I actually was hired to do um, in-house program evaluation, which is one of the things I had just spent my two years learning. And so I was super excited that there, here was this job that like almost directly matched, you know, all the skills that I'd been um, practicing. And it was my first real exposure to foster care um, mm. in any way. Uh, and I um, I spent almost two years there and got to know my colleagues really well, case managers, lawyers, therapists. And one of the things that I was just struck by was the fact that there was barely any thought given to the older youth in foster care. Oh, wow. And, um, and I kind of came to realize that um, just based on my um, colleagues that had older youth on their caseloads that they were managing and like they were at a loss for what to do, how to help them, how to make their lives better, how to connect them. And I just couldn't believe it. I was like flabbergasted. And that was the, actually the same time when the first piece of um, legislation that focuses on older youth in care was, um, was starting to you know, work its way through Congress which is uh, the Chafee Act um, mm. or the Foster Care Independence Act as it's more widely known. Um, and that was the first time that older youth were really put front and center in terms of thinking about child welfare. Um, and that really marked a seminal moment for the field um, and started the conversation of 
what do these young people need? What's unique about their situations, their experiences? What makes them different from young children, which are the population that get the most focus um, because it's easy to, you know, feel sorry for or feel very touched by, you know, a, a smaller, younger child. Um, so I just was really um, taken with that issue. And I then started um, like reading everything I could get my hands on. And I also had been already thinking about getting a PhD at that point. Um, and all of that learning just really solidified for me that if this was going to be an area that I was going to make a difference in, I needed to go back to school. Mm -hmm. uh, I had more learning to do. I needed to learn new, you know, more skills. I needed to build on everything. And I just, I was like, all right, well, who, who's the best and who's got the best thinking going on in this country right now um, in terms of research and scholarship. And that's how I ended up at the University of North Carolina, where I studied with um, one of the first uh, researchers that ever asked a young person, an older youth in foster care, you know, the basic question of like, how's it going? <laughs> you know, how's your yeah. life? Um, and so I worked with Richard Barth. Um, and that just that, I mean, that's sort of the end of the story, but then it's also the beginning of the story. Right, right. So what year was the, that chafing? Yeah, that was 1999. And okay. My husband and I are foster parents. Oh, and we specifically foster older youth. So Thank you mentioned that. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm familiar with the uh, Chafee programs. Mm -hmm. I didn't know the name that it went through in Congress, but yeah. Okay. So 1999, that's very cool. And so Richard, what was Barth. the? B-A-R-T-H, Barth. Barth, Richard Barth. That, so you got to work with him. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. So what, what do you think the foster care system can do and should do better to improve older youth outcomes for kids that are in the system? Um, well, so right now our system um, takes a position that um, young people who age out of foster care um, need to have uh, their skills improved. We need to help them build what we call life skills or independent living skills. And so our federal government pumps about $140 million every year into that idea. Um, however, through very rigorous research that um, has been done by the other main person <laughs> that's been studying this issue that I've also done work with, um, Mark Courtney, uh, that research has shown that um, that approach to preparing young people to transition to adulthood out of foster care is um, actually ineffective. Mm -hmm. It has no positive um, impact on any of the outcomes of interest in terms of homelessness, incarceration, health, mental health, substance use, um, the list goes on and on. And yet um, there's been no work done at the federal level to sort of fix that, to figure out, okay, well, how else can we spend $140 million? Right. Well, I have an idea. <laughs> um, so my work has really been about um, shifting the conversation from one that is 
this focus on independence to one that is focused on interdependence. Mm. Um, because none of us go through life alone. And even when we're all, you know, what we might think of as fully grown, um, we still rely on our relationships to, um, to be a source of support, to be a source of happiness, to, to you know, um, just be there for us. And so young people who age out of foster care are really no different. And so I've developed an intervention that, um, that basically leverages the people um, in the lives of kids who age out of care um, that they feel close to. Um, and it's built on uh, the concept of natural mentoring, um, which essentially means um, an adult that uh, the young person um, feels close to, already has in their life, um, through some other means. So it could be a teacher, it could be a neighbor, it could be an aunt, uncle, grandparent, um, coach, pastor, you know, the friend, a uh, parent of a friend. Um, it's just not your um, primary caregiver. According to, you know, one study that was done, about two thirds of young people who age out of foster care say they still feel close to an, an adult that they've known since um, at least age 14. So my question is, where are these people and how can we help them to um, support, you know, the young people who age out of care? Um, and so that's really what my intervention is about. It's about figuring out who th these adults are and then providing um, programmatic support around them to help them uh, continue to kind of nurture the relationship and, um, <clears throat> and help them um, problem solve and, um, and really just, uh, have this intense focus on making this a relationship that the young person can continue to, um, to draw on and come back to even when the program like steps away. That's fabulous. That's, I mean, what a great approach. Ha have you seen, have you been able to implement this in any Okay, so um, we did one uh, pilot a couple years ago in Philadelphia, um, which was um, funded by a federal grant, and we worked in partnership with um, the Philadelphia Department of Human Services. Um, and it was a small pilot, and if you know anything about intervention research, um, you know, you always start small, and you also always pilot things. Um, and so the idea was I wanted to not only pilot um, the intervention itself, but I also wanted to test out what it was like to do a rigorous research study in a um, in a hectic child welfare setting, um, oh. because I was applying um, the skills I learned as a PhD student for how to do high quality research, which meant you know randomizing kids, 50-50 chance of either getting my intervention or getting the standard of care you know, and how do they react? <laughs> and, you know, what's that like? Are we able to, um, you know, kind of uh, mitigate any issues that come up, you know, if they end up in the control group? And, you know, there are all sorts of um, procedures that go into doing uh, good research like that. And so I was like, well, we need to test that out too. You know, we also, we're going to test the program out and see how everyone reacts to it. And we're going to also test out, um, doing the research study, you know, how did they feel about filling out a survey online, you know, that asked them all sorts of questions about, um, you know, their, 
their background and also just, you know, their feelings about being in foster care and aging out and just everything. Um, so uh, uh, the results basically um, indicated that, you know, it was possible to do this work, first of all. Um, everyone, both the, the, the mentors as well as the young people, you know, responded to the um, different parts of the intervention really positively. Um, and they also, you know, they were fine with being involved in a research study also. Um, and then we learned some other really important things that we would not have learned otherwise. And I think probably one of the most important um, learnings is, you know, there's, there's different groups of young people who age out of care when it comes to thinking about social support and supportive relationships. There are those that, um, you know, have adults in their life and you can pretty easily leverage them and get them involved. So there, and there, those are the, the, um, the cases that, you know, are pretty straightforward and easy to work with. On the other extreme, you have young people who have absolutely nobody. Mm. And, you know, even after going through the procedures that I've developed for, um, you know, helping to identify adults, because we have a couple of different ways we do that, you know, you still come up with no one. Well, that type of young person is not appropriate for my intervention. That would be more, you know, you would want to then refer to a formal mentoring intervention, most likely for you know, that kind of young person. And then right in the middle, and this was the biggest thing we learned, is um, a lot of young people can identify adults. And then there are adults who will step up and be like, yes, I care about that young person. But there can then be um, barriers or obstacles that you know we have to then address. So um, often natural mentors will come from the same types of environments as the young people. So you know lower SES, um, you know neighborhoods that aren't super safe, things like that. And and they also you know they might be working more than one job to make ends meet. They probably have their own children, and so you need to think about well you know, do they need childcare in order to be a part of our program? Um, you know, and so it's those kind of environmental issues or barriers that come up that, you know, we've done thinking about, you know, how to mitigate. So, you know, with grant money, you know, can we um, provide childcare when we ask them to show up for, you know, something related to the program? You know, can we reimburse for public transportation? Um, can we include in our programming dinner? You know, it's just, it's things like that um, in terms of thinking about what are those barriers um, that we could, you know, uh, address that would then allow that adult to really show up for a young person. Right. That, yeah, all of the different things that just make it possible to be in a certain place. <laughs> yeah, at a certain time, exactly. Right. Right. So what, what are some of the strategies that you think are most helpful to get youth ready for adulthood? Um, well, I really feel like it's about this, this relationship. And so part of the intervention is then also using this one-on-one -on -one relationship as the context for building independent living or life skills. Because if you think about how most young people learn those skills, um, who come from your typical intact family, you know, they learn them as they need them. They don't 
learn them just because all of a sudden, you know, a parent says, oh, today I'm going to teach you how to balance a checkbook. And then the young person's like, well, I don't even have a checking account. Right. You know, they, they have no concept of like what it, it even means. And so um, I take the approach of, you know, I would, I learned how to balance a checkbook in college because that was the first time I had any sort of checking account. You know, I had a savings account for, you know, a while as a kid, but college, you know, that's when you learn, you know, often how to balance a, a checkbook. And so um, that piece of building life skills is youth driven. So we have the youth identify a skill that they want to work on. They're not just told, you know, oh, this week you're going to work on X. You know, they identify a skill. We stress that it, um, you know, try and make it something relevant that you're, you know, you have a need right now that you want to address. Um, and then they use their relationship with their natural mentor to work on it. And, you know, it's basic like um, modeling, if it's something like going grocery shopping or cooking, or, you know, it could be more didactic if it's like, okay, let's look at how to, you know, work with your checking account and your money. Um, but it's, the idea is to think about how um, young people who come from an intact family learn those skills and then to really try and um, sort of replicate that natural process. Mm -hmm. With other adults that yeah, are involved, with your, yeah, with the natural mentor. Yep. Nice. So what's, what's happening now that we're in this COVID-19 space? Right. Um, so, you know, completely has changed the landscape for all of us. Right, right. <laughs> In many, for every way, shape, and form. Um, and so, you know, I started uh, just sort of like in March when everything started to sh shut down, you know, I started to hear about, um, you know, just concerns about young people that were having to leave uh, their college housing and they're, but they're in foster care and like nowhere really to go. And, you know, questions about how am I going to do my classes online? You know, just all sorts of things that um, come up or that came up for your average student, much less, you know, your, your student who is at risk and, you know, more mar marginalized and vulnerable. So, um, I literally was, um, I think I was in the shower because that's where a lot of my I good ideas come from. <laughs> oh my gosh, me too. <laughs> um, and I was like, you know what? We should do a survey to find out how, how these young people are faring with COVID-19 and with respect to their housing, their food security, their education, their finances, their employment, their health, their mental health, and their personal connections. And so my team and I, at the beginning of um, April, we launched an online survey nationally um, that asks uh, young people ages 18 to 23 who are either still in care or who have aged out um, all, different, all different questions about how um, COVID-19 has impacted all those areas. Um, and so we've got about a little less than a week to go with the survey um, being up and open. It closes May 2nd. And as of now, we're at about, um, I think, 215 completers. 
Um, and we're in like 30 states and like almost 150 cities. So I'm really hoping we might crack the 300 mark. Mm. Um, and then we'll be doing um, some rapid dissemination of our findings just for the practice and advocacy communities, pushing out primarily over social media. Um, and then we'll also write a paper um, to be published in an academic journal um, over the summer. Uh, but we want to get the data out fast because mm -hmm. we feel like people can use it now um, and we should be using it. And there's no yeah. reason to not push the findings out quickly. Right. Right. I also read something about you being the co-developer of a web-based mapping app. Yeah. What's that uh, about? Yeah. So um, another one of my shower ideas. <laughs> Okay, so I have to tell you, one of my coworkers, she, at a certain point, I go for bike rides. Yeah. And I get a lot of ideas on my bike rides and during my showers. And at a certain point, she's like, no more showers, no more bike rides. I know, I, I know. I right? implement some of this stuff. There's just too many good ideas. I know. Right, right. Um, but getting them all going. Yes. So, um, a couple years ago, I had um, an idea for an app that um, somehow would address, you know, kind of some of the issues relating to aging out, um, like connecting to resources and things like that. And um, for a while, I, I wasn't able to really do anything with my idea because I didn't really know what to do with it, right? I'm not like a tech person. Um, by any stretch of the imagination. So I just let it kind of sit. And I was like, well, all right, I have this idea, but oh, well, well you know, oh, well. Right. Um, and then uh, a little while after that, um, I got talking to some of the, um, so there's a, a pretty impressive, like, um, kind of alumni, foster alumni community that also is doing tech stuff. And I got talking to um, one or two of those folks and I was told to, you know, see if, um, considering you're at a university, University of Pennsylvania, see if there is like an affinity student group that's got interest in developing apps or, you know, mm. tech or whatever. I was like, okay, that's a really good idea. And I was like, well, where should I look? And they were like, well, sometimes, you know, those groups might be housed within engineering because app development is generally, I guess, it's part of engineering or can be. Or somewhere, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the places it lives. Um, and what do you know, Penn has a group called Hack for Impact. And nice. They're undergrads and um, every... Start of the school year, I guess. Yeah, they open up um, a, a, you know, kind of like a competition where they take only ideas that promote social good mm. um, and are from nonprofits. And you can submit. And then um, if you're selected, they then work with you to actually develop the idea. And so I um, applied and, uh, <laughs> and, when they and they were they were very interested in it. And when they first contacted me, they were like, Well, we've never had faculty from the school, you know, apply. And I was like, Well, 
we are a nonprofit technically, even though it doesn't seem like, you know, a, a big prestigious, you know, university is a nonprofit, but we are. And they're like, okay, yeah, that's true. Um, and then they were like, well, the other thing is we got a very similar idea from someone else in Philadelphia. And I was like, oh, well, tell me about that. And so it ended up being someone I know. Um, oh. And it's a woman from the Juvenile Law Center. And it was uncanny because we'd never talked about this. It was oh. uncanny. You know, it's like great minds, you know. Mm -hmm. And so the student group was like, well, if you two are willing to work together, we'll take you on. But because we're clearly not going to do two projects that are basically the same thing. Mm -hmm. Well, that was a no-brainer for us. So we were like, of course, let's do it. The app. So the app is a mapping uh, resource locator and um, it's called Youth Matters Philly. And so you can, and it's both, it's a mobile web app. So it's responsive to your cell phone, but you can also search on your computer. Mm -hmm. And that was really important because we wanted young people to be able to use any computer, not just have it be an app that you would buy or, you know, download for free from the app store. Right. Um, so then they, uh, anyone can actually go into the site and uh, uh, you can search by resource type. So if you need shelter, you can search, you know, food, clothing, healthcare, you name it. Um, then you can also filter by um, uh, sort of like, um, different categories. So in the case of shelter, you know, most often they are um, one gender. So males and females, you know, they don't, there's not like shelter that is co-ed except for the very limited family shelters. Right. Um, so, you know, you can search by gender, you can search by whether or not, um, you know, the, a program or an organization is responsive to LGBTQ issues. You can search by in foster care, out of foster care. You know, there's all these narrowing mm -hmm. um, options. You can also search for, if you know the name of an organization, you can also search for it. And then the map shows you, it's of Philadelphia, and it will then show you what you're um, closest to. Uh, so like if you're, you know, actually like I need this now, you can then see like, oh, I'm closest to, you know, this place or that place. Um, and then the other thing that's really great uh, is, and this was part of um, one of the things that was important to me, is uh, the app allows um, young people to leave a review. So we've turned it into sort of like Yelp for mm -hmm. um, social services. Mm -hmm. and. I like the idea of young people being able to, you know, figure out, okay, well, here are these three resources, you know, they all provide the same thing, but how do I choose which one to go to if I'm not worried about geography necessarily? Right. Well, let me see what other people have used this say, right? So just like we pick a restaurant sometimes, you know, or um, any other service that we might be after, I wanted to give um, young people that sense of empowerment mm. um, so that they can leave feedback. And so it's a star rating and then, which is required. And then you can use, leave an optional comment. Right. Well, that's great though. I mean, I know of some people that I want to tell about it. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, if it's open source and that makes it beautiful, just that you can share it and they can apply it the way it works for them. Johanna, thank you so much. Um, My pleasure. What a wonderful resource and 
all, you know, just this, this publication and the app and, you know, thank you for pouring yourself into all of these aspects to help older youth as they, as they venture into adulthood. It's, it's amazing. Well, thank you. I'm really excited. We made this connection. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, we didn't even talk about the trafficking stuff, but that's okay. <laughs> so, you know, the helping those that are vulnerable help prevent trafficking, right? Because you increase the vulnerabilities, you increase their chances of being exploited in, right. in so many ways. So yeah, it's, um, it's a, it's a much bigger picture. But, but thank you so much for what you're doing. And thank you for sharing your thoughts and your time today. Yep. My pleasure. For those that are interested in learning more about the upcoming impact conversations, if you enjoyed this conversation and you'd like to hear more, click on the link below and you can subscribe, follow. You can also nominate someone you think would be a good guest for an upcoming episode. Thank you so much for joining us today and keep looking for positive ways to impact our world. Don't forget to subscribe and join us next week for another Impact Conversation.